Hej! Den här visionssöndagen så vill jag tala till dig utifrån temat The best of times. Den bästa av tider. På din stol idag så har du hittat ett bönekort där du kan skriva ner ditt bönämne för 2024. Kanske behålla i din bibel, sätta upp på kylskåpet och göra till en återkommande bön för det som Gud har lagt på ditt hjärta. Idag vill jag läsa utifrån Jesaja 55 och ifrån vers 5. Du ska kalla på ett folk du inte känner. Ett hedna folk som inte känner dig ska skynda till dig. För Herren din Guds skull, Israels helige, för han har förhärligat dig. Herre lys på ditt ord idag. Amen. För Herrens skull, säg för Herrens skull. Because of the Lord. Det här är en profetisk hälsning in i våran tiden. Hälsning till det som är Guds folk och det finns mycket samstämmighet med det som sker i våran tid. Samstämmighet till exempel omkring migration, om folkförflyttningar, om drömmar. Det här är en text som är skriven till oss för att vi ska fatta mod. Kanske tänker du så här, the worst of times, det är väl egentligen det som vi lever i. Ja, men då säger jag till dig, som kristen och som en Jesu lärjung och en efterföljare till honom. Så är det inte så att omständigheterna är det som styr våra liv mer än det som är tron på att Gud kan väl signa oss oavsett omständigheter. Jag säger istället, the worst of times, the best of times. När Ulrika och jag tänker tillbaka på det liv som vi har levt och är lite nostalgiska. Då tänker vi ibland på, ah, kommer du ihåg det där perioden? Du vet när vi startade Life Center, huset var fullt av kids och deras kompisar. Och det var konnektgrupper varenda kväll. Och, och det var lite tufft ibland med ekonomin. Och det var två jobb. Och det var, det var liksom allt på en gång. Liksom allt hände på en gång. Det var så mycket. Och ändå. Så talar vi om det som att det var den bästa av alla tider. Det där har jag varit med om många, många gånger. Kanske går du igenom en tid med mycket att göra. Med press på det jobbet. Kanske ekonomin. Kanske din utbildning. Kanske det som gör familjen. The worst of times. The best of times. Det är det Gud har kallat oss att leva. Ett liv där vi inte är styrda av omständigheterna. Och begränsade av omständigheterna. Du kan faktiskt uppleva framgång när andra upplever nedgång och motgång. Man kan leva med hopp även när hela omgivningen skakar. Det finns en framtid även när andra ger upp. Det här är någonting som vi kallar att leva i. Jesaja 54 säger att inget vapen som smids mot dig ska ha framgång och varje tunga som angriper dig ska du i domens dag döma skyldig. Detta är Herrens tjänares arvedel och deras rättfärdighet kommer från mig, säger Herren. Alltså, det finns någonting över dig som Gud sänder till dig, som öser över dig, som handlar om att med en så är man alltid majoritet. Med Gud är en människa alltid majoritet. Min vän, den som känner Herren är inte begränsad som andra. Du ska få tre punkter av mig idag. The best of times. Det första är det här. Det stod i texten om ett folk som du inte känner. A nation you don't know. Du ska kalla på ett folk du inte känner. Isaia han profeterar tro. De är ju på väg från fångenskapen tillbaka till Jerusalem. Det här är en text som faktiskt berör oss på djupet. Petrus han säger när han citerar profeten Amos i Apostlärningar 15 att alla 
andra människor ska söka Herren. Alla hedningar över vilka mitt namn har nämnts, så säger Herren som gör detta. Det finns någon form av eskalerande tempo i det här som rör att människor ska strömma till Jesus, människor vi inte känner. Kanske tänker du att ja, men det här handlar om förhållandet mellan judar och hedningar. Men jag skulle säga att det handlar om förhållandet mellan oss som är liksom födda här i Sverige och alla människor som har kommit hit de senaste, senaste åren. Sverige såg lite annorlunda ut för 25 år sedan när vi startade Life Center. Och jag kommer ihåg ett tillfälle när jag satt i bilen med några kompisar och vi funderade på namnet för vår kyrka. Och så kom det fram Life Center International Church. Långt före den våg av nationaliteter som vi också har välsignats med som församling. Min vän, världen är här och det är på riktigt dags att omfamna folkslagen och föra dem in i Guds rike. Är det någon kultur vi ska ha i Life Center så är det inte liksom någon svennebanankultur. Vi ska ha Guds rikeskultur i Life Center. Vi älskar Sverige och jag kommer försvara Sverige liksom till sista blodstroppen. Jag blöder blått och gult men mer än någonting annat så vill jag blöda Jesus för de människor som behöver honom mer än någonting annat. Guds plan är att frälsa hedna folken. De ska alla närma sig Guds löftesfolk stod det i den här texten. Det handlar också om hans församling. Att det finns ett, liksom ett, ett, ett tilldragande till Guds församling i den tid som vi lever i. Jesus säger själv i Johannes 10 så här, lyssna, vers 16. Jag har också andra får som inte hör till den här follan. Också de måste jag leda. Och de kommer att lyssna till min röst. Så ska det bli en jord och en herde. Alltså inte en jord här som var lite extra värdefulla och sen så en annan jord här som är någon form av belag va? Nej, var både judar och hedningar och Jesus skulle föra alla samman under en herde sig själv. Vi alla inympar i det här löftet, vi tillhör löftet om välsignelse och frälsning. Och som hedna kristna så har vi fått komma till tro på en Jesus som också inkluderar alla folkslag som ska vända till Jesus. Låt oss omfamna det här med generationerna. Mer tro och mer undervisning. Mer fest och mer middagar för alla folkslagen. Och mer av ledarskap från alla nationerna. Det är Guds rikes kultur vi bygger. Det andra jag tänker på är att det stod i texten att de skulle skynda sig till dig. Det finns någon form av tempoökning i den här texten. Som leder oss in i funderingarna på... Ja, så ska det bli i den tiden och vara i den tiden när Jesus kommer tillbaka. Allt ökar i hastighet. Datorer, minneskapacitet, förmåga. Och det är ju lätt att man blir stressad av det där. Men du ska inte vara stressad av det där. Du ska vara angelägen istället. Det är en stor skillnad att leva angelägen och att leva stressad. Jag har tempo i mitt liv och jag har liksom passion för det jag gör. Men att vara stressad, det är någonting annat. Vad stressad kan föda oro, det kan göra att du mår dåligt, du kan till och med bli sjuk av stress. Men att leva angelägen och passionerad för Guds rike och det Gud vill göra, det är någonting helt annat. Angelägen, men inte stressad. Skapelsen står under en stress, för den väntar hans ankomst. Han kommer tillbaka och i ett ögonblick när han kommer så är allt förvandlat. Och det är något underbart att leva i en sån insikt och ett sånt löfte. Min vän, gör upp med oförlåtelse. 
Gör upp med medioker kristen konsumtionstro. Gör upp med medelmåttigheten i det kristna livet. Släpp loss Jesus i ditt liv. Släpp loss hans ord i ditt liv. Lev inte passivt inför framtiden. Det är dags att börja leva fullt ut för Jesus. Det tredje jag tänker på är att vi ska göra det här för Herrens skull. Det finns folk som kommer till oss. Det ska dras till oss. Tempot ska öka. Angelägenhetsgraden ska öka. Men vi ska göra det för Herrens skull. Varför gör vi det vi gör? Jo, vi gör det för Herren. Och hur är det möjligt? Jo, därför att han har förhärligat sig i Jesus och han förhärligar sig i sin församling. Det betyder att det finns en attraktionskraft i Guds församling. Som människor kommer att se när du är på jobbet, när du är i plugget. Så är det någonting speciellt med dig. Och vad betyder det här? Jo, det betyder att när du lever ditt kristna liv i din vardag så är det människor som reflekterar över ditt liv. Och då är det viktigt att du gör ditt kristna liv. Inte för att du ska verka lite andlig. Eller att du ska verka lite mer upplyst. Utan att du gör det av ett rent hjärta och av ett rent motiv. Att du gör ditt kristna liv för Herrens skull. Att du tjänar inte ur krav. Att du ger inte för att liksom det är kravfyllt. Utan att du ger av hjärtat. Att du lever för Herren. Och att du gör det du gör för Herrens skull. I Filippebrevet 1 och 6 är det bibelord som står på bönekortet. Jag är övertygad om att han som har börjat ett gott verk i er han ska också fullborda det in till Kristi Jesu dag. Min vän, det Gud har börjat i ditt liv det ska han fullborda. Det är därför det är viktigt att vi gör det vi gör för Herrens skull. Att du gör det för honom. Och att det du gör är det som Herren har lagt ner i ditt liv. Så att du ägnar din tid åt att du lägger din kraft på det Gud har planerat för ditt liv. Min vän, läs Guds ord. Be. Lyssna till predikningar. Zooma in på det som är dina gåvor och din funktion och din förmåga. Och låt Gud använda dig i ditt liv. Det är något fantastiskt att tjäna Herren. Till sist som avslutning. Tjäna Herren med glädje. Och gör det passionerat. Gud kommer att använda dig 2024. Se till att du lever ett öppet liv och att du lever utan en massa onödigt bagage. Gud, han vill väl signa dig och han vill ta hand om ditt 2024. Stora böner, stora drömmar. Gud vill låta dig leva ett fantastiskt liv. The best of times. Amen. So good to be able to hear from Pastor PJ this morning and, and be encouraged around that. And now I get to jump up and and uh, sort of tag team preach a little bit with PJ, which is awesome. And, uh, and I get to speak to our church here in Lynn Shipping and contextualize a couple of things and, and talk a little bit about what our heart is, where we're going, all that kind of stuff. And so uh, I'm excited to be able to do that now, building off the back of what PJ was just speaking about right there. And so I just want us to begin by turning in our Bibles to Matthew 13. And this is going to be on the screen as well. But why don't we turn in our, in our Bibles to Matthew 13. I want to read uh, verses 18 to 23 to us this morning. And then we're going to get into this. Um, but here's what it says. It says, Jesus is uh, speaking, teaching his disciples. And he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. 
This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Let's pray and jump into this. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity we have right now to come before you. And Father, we ask that you would speak to us today, that we would be changed by your word. Father, whatever may be going on in our lives, let us look at our situations through the lens of your word, through your promises and faithfulness to us. And Father, I just pray that we would encounter you here this morning. We thank you and we lift up your name and everybody said, amen, amen. Um, I talk about this uh, every now and then, but I'm a church kid. Any other church kids in the place today? Let's go, church kids. I grew up in church. It was a great church. I'm from Canada, and I grew up in a church uh, from a city called Waterloo, uh, which immediately Swedes just start singing the ABBA song, Waterloo, you know, it's great. Uh, So I think God knew when I was born that I should be born in Waterloo. Um, But I grew up in a great church there. Uh, It was called uh, Waterloo Pentecostal Tabernacle. How's that for a church name? Bring back that kind of church name. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Life Center is a great name. Don't get me wrong. But how about Tabernacle? Most people are like, what is a Tabernacle? Uh, Eventually, they updated the church name, I guess, to be more seeker sensitive or something, to Waterloo Pentecostal Assembly. Much better, I guess. And so that was my church growing up. It was a great church. And... um, you know, I was very involved in church. Every week I would be in church uh, on Sunday. We'd, I'd be in Sunday school at 9 a.m. I'd be at service at 1045. And then we'd be back for Sunday evening service at 6 p.m. every week. Then on Monday nights, I would have youth band rehearsal. Tuesday nights, we had church prayer. Wednesday night, I had my connect group. Thursday nights, we had church band rehearsal. Friday nights was the youth. Saturday, I mean, that was the Sabbath, I guess. Let's rest and restore and then do it again. And, um, and I loved it. I was so privileged to be involved in a great church in that way. My parents weren't involved like that. I was a teenager. I had nothing going on in my life, and so I was in church. (laughs) And honestly, though, it was great, and it shaped who I am today. And really, I believe that what I'm doing today is pretty much an extension of what I began doing at that time. I think it was awesome. And, and, you know, my love and dedication for the church, to be honest, has only grown uh, over this time. I I still love the church. There have been few constants in my life, uh, but my love for and dedication to the church, I really feel has been constant in my life. And now having served as a pastor for 12 years this year, working in ministry, I'm more thankful than ever for the church, and I'm thankful for our church. And yet, as I look back on the people that I grew up going to church with, the reality is that not too many of my friends who I stood shoulder to shoulder with are going to church or even really have a faith in God at all. That's a sad reality. You might be able to relate. Perhaps there are people that you can think of that you grew up going to church with or whatever, spent time going to church with friends, family, 
who no longer attend church and perhaps they've even left faith altogether or maybe you're here and you've come to faith later in life and you're trying to get your family or friends to come to church but they just think it's weird and I get that. And unfortunately, um, that story is not entirely unique. We live in a fascinating historical moment and um, the church itself no longer commands the same type of respect in society as it did at one point. When people ask me what I do, and I tell them I'm a pastor, uh, they look at me very skeptically. Immediately, they're suspicious of me, right away. Uh, as if I'm like a spy that's been sent to like, keep track of their behavior and report back to God as to whether or not they're living a good life or not. And uh, that's only half true, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, that's not the case. But people look at me you know, as kind of like with, with suspicion. Maybe you've told somebody you're a Christian and you feel the same way. People are like, oh, that's a little bit weird. I thought you maybe were a little more normal than that, I don't know. Um, and the, the, the reality is that many of our neighbors, our friends, our families, our colleagues view the gospel as old news. Many other people view it as the source of society's problems, that everything that's wrong with the world is a result of uh, religion and Christians. Churches in Sweden have been going through a tough time over the last two decades. One study that I was reading uh, this week, uh, it's a 20-year study of all the free churches, Frikyrkor, in Sweden over the last two decades, uh, between the year 2000 and 2020. And the study found that all of the churches, Frikyrkor, in Sweden are shrinking at a rate of 1,000 people per year. They found that the majority of churches in Sweden are not growing or are in decline. The vast majority of churches in Sweden are less than 50 people. And I don't think that that's necessarily a problem, but when churches are shrinking and they're only at 50 people, it's not too long before they don't exist. And actually, roughly 40% of all the churches in Sweden that existed in the year 2000 have now closed their doors 20 years later. Since the year 2000, more than uh, 1,100 churches have closed in Sweden, which equates to about one church closing every single week in our nation. Now, at the same time, 471 churches have been planted. Praise God, I think that's wonderful. That's awesome. But in order to keep up uh, levels, just uh, keep up with the, the population growth of Sweden, and just to hold our ground at the same percentage as churches were at the year 2000, we would have needed to plant more than 1,200 new churches in that same amount of time, much more than the 471 that were planted. Similarly, a study was done by Pinks two years ago, which outlined that 60% of young adults are leaving the church year after year. So welcome to Vision Sunday. I hope you feel encouraged this morning. <laughs> okay, why am I depressing you with all of this information? What's the point in talking about this? Um, well, listen, I think that if we're going to talk about where we're going as a church, it's important to understand the environment through which we will be traveling and how we need to travel. After all, you don't take a car to go across the ocean, right? That's not what we're about. And so I think that we need to understand the needs of our world today if we as a church are going to respond appropriately and, and build a church and reach the world with the good news of Jesus. It doesn't do us any good as a church to bury our head in the sand and just pretend everything's totally fine, that's the end of it, whatever, uh, you know, we don't have to think about this. I think we should think about this because... These things actually drive and define the methods that we will use to reach the world with the good news of Jesus, and we need to do so. 
Now, I'm very aware and very thankful that in spite of the numbers that I just shared, there are churches that are going against this trend of decline. I want you to know that that's also the case. Uh, and, and I'm really thankful for that. There are many churches, actually, that are growing in Sweden. And we're one of them, by the way, which is so fantastic. And I'm so thankful. Yeah, that deserves a round of applause. I'm so thankful for that. And God has been doing something really exciting in our church over the last couple of years. And we have grown substantially in that time, truly more than 100%. And that's wonderful. And I, I, that doesn't mean that we'll continue to grow on that trajectory necessarily. But I do pray that we continue to grow as a church as we continue to put God first in what we're doing. And so I'm excited for what God has been doing in our church. Victoria and I as pastors here, we're so thankful for what he's doing. And I say that at risk of being misunderstood because I don't want to just present some sort of hyped up message, overinflated, that tries to make us look important or great or anything like that. I'm really, really not interested in hype. I'm really not. But I am really interested in hope. And because of the hope that we have in Jesus, I look around at what God is doing, and as a pastor, I can't help but say, praise God. But also at the same time, I say, Jesus, we need more of you. Because this is what our hope clings to. It's what it's built on, the name of Jesus. He is our hope, and it is through him and our belief in him, by grace, through faith, that we are, in the language of First Peter, born again to a living hope. But what do we do, and what must our focus be if we want to see these trends in Sweden reversed? What must we be about as a church if we want to continue to see our church grow and thrive, that we might be a place where people can encounter the presence of God and cannot help but worship him, and from that we cannot help those of us here but go out into the world and preach the gospel to others? What do we need to do? I think that we've got to be willing to go on a journey. Now, it's really important that we understand the difference between taking a trip and going on a journey. Because when we take a trip, the question is, how quickly can I get from point A to point B, right? I've got a, a screen here. This is a diagram of what a trip looks like. How can I get from point A to point B with the least amount of fuss? Uh, if Victoria and I are going somewhere, we get in our car, we're going on a road trip, we're driving somewhere, I tell Victoria, I hope you've gone to the toilet because we are not stopping on the way, all right? No detours allowed, we're not stopping, I hope you had something to eat or you're just going to be hungry because we're getting there from point A to point B as fast as we possibly can. And if anything gets in the way or slows down the trip, we get annoyed. Or at least I do, maybe I'll speak for myself here. Um, you know, Victoria and I were in Canada for Christmas this past year. We had a great trip, but it came time to travel back home to Sweden. And I was at the point where I was just ready to get home. You know, I was like, okay, let's go. I'm in travel mode. I wasn't really looking forward to traveling. I just kind of wanted to skip it and get here. And when I travel, I'm the kind of person that plans out everything. Any, anybody like me in the room? Thank you. Thank you. I feel slightly better that there's four other people in my church uh, just like this. Um, uh, that's right, and no sleeping in the car. That's right. Uh, no, but I, 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 was, I, I, tra I, I travel like that. I plan everything. I am a show up to the airport early, organized. I am perfectly packed. The flight number is memorized. Uh, everything works because I have prepared for everything to work. If I could, I would just fly the plane myself, okay? <laughs> it would be great. Um, 
I call it organized, Victoria calls it control freak in need of serious <laughs> help and counseling, and she may be correct on that, I don't know. Um, so on our trip, I had things under control, it was good, that is, until Victoria and I were sitting on a plane on the runway in Iceland, waiting for our last flight back to Stockholm, and the pilot announced that we were delayed. And at this point, now I am annoyed, <laughs> because point A to point B has now been delayed, and I'm not happy with what's taking place here. The delay was 20 minutes, which turned into, yes, I know, yes, seriously, um, which turned into 40 minutes, which turned into more than an hour, which turned into the pilot announcing that the plane was broken and we all needed to get off the plane which turned into a, 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 an airport full of people who were slowly losing their minds, me included, which turned into the airline offering Victoria and I 800 euros if we would go back later in the week, which turned into us saying no to that because we just wanted to get home, which has honestly turned into me think, saying, what was I thinking? 800 euros would have been amazing to fly back a couple days later, but no, we wanted to get back, and so we turned down that offer. It was so annoying because everything was going so smooth until it wasn't. And when you're taking a trip, you expect to be able to get from A to B as fast and as smooth as possible. But I want us to understand here this morning that as a church, we are not taking a trip. And if you expect that we're taking a trip when it comes to church, or even when it comes to your faith for that matter, it's easy to get annoyed when delays happen, when interruptions take place, when things don't go as planned, when things are messy, when things are out of control. But as a church, we're not taking a trip. We are on a journey. And a journey looks a little bit more like this, if I put that up. This is more what a journey looks like. A journey involves ups and downs, processes and actions, moving forward, moving backward, stops and starts and surprises. A trip focuses on just getting to the destination, but a journey, while headed in a direction, is more about who or what you're becoming along the way. A journey doesn't have a strict timetable. A journey usually requires some sort of map or guidebook. There are rest stops along the way. There are times where you go quickly and times where you go slowly. There are traveling companions, and a journey cannot be repeated. And to establishing his kingdom in linshipping as it is in heaven. And on this journey of all the ups and downs, the stops and starts of life, we have a purpose. As a church, we have a purpose. And I wonder if somebody were to ask you what the purpose of the church is, like what would you even say? I'm not just talking the purpose of our church, I'm talking the purpose of the church, capital C Church around the world. What's the purpose of the church anyways? Like, is it to gather and do, like, Christian karaoke for 20 minutes at the beginning and, like, go, like, and that's it and uh, go home and then wait for the next week and we just kind of go because that's what we've always done and I guess we should go to church? Or, like, what's the purpose behind what we're doing? And a thing I've shared before and something that I, I, I think is quite accurately sums up what the purpose of the church is actually comes from Wayne Grudem, a leading Bible scholar in the world today and... Um, he says the purpose of the church is to worship God, to equip the saints, and to reach the world. And I love this. And we need all three of these things. Let us be a church that worships God together. We don't come together and sing. We come together and worship God. And there's a big difference. You can sing at home. Sing in the shower before you get to church. Wonderful. When we get to church, we worship God. We lift up his name. We glorify him because he is worthy of all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. And that's what we do. It's what we're about as a church. 
defines who we are. We worship God together. And let us be a church that is so moved by the presence of God that we can't help but be motivated to reach this world. That we can't just sit in church on a Sunday morning and then go to work on a Monday morning and not be moved or motivated in one way or another to reach our colleagues with the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to be stirred into action when it comes to that. But also, and something that I think is so key, and something that we prioritize in our church and will continue to prioritize in our church, is that we must be equipped to live our lives as followers of Jesus every single day. And it's our desire that people would become Christians in our church, but that they would stay Christians in our church. And in order to do this, I believe that the church needs to be radically counterformative to the ways of the world. What I mean by that is churches that mimic the practices and the values of the world fail in their task of helping people become like Christ. As Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think we all need to ask ourselves this question which is, is the great vision of my life to have Christ formed in me? Regardless of what I do for God, is the burning inner quest and desire of my life to be formed into the image of Jesus? But if we want that, and I hope we do, I pray we do, it requires an awareness of who Jesus is. Not just who we think he is, but who he really is. And I believe that we learn this more and more as we become disciples of Jesus, as we center our lives on Christ. And that equipping provides us the fuel and the foundation that we need to actually reach this world effectively. I think that as a church, and as church is, we've made appropriate and necessary changes to our methods over the last few decades. And I think it's great. I'm glad that we're not still doing things uh, the way that we did them maybe in the 90s when I was growing up. (laughs) Uh, I saw some weird stuff. The 90s, they were a weird time, you know. Um, I remember the good old flags during worship. Anybody remember that kind of stuff? I remember being as a kid like, what is going on here? There's probably some people like, I've got the flags in my car, so please stop talking about this. (laughs) Uh, Leave them in the car. It's better there. Um, Other people are like, I have no idea what you're even talking about. Good, no no, no worries. I remember like human, these things we did in my church, we called them human videos. And uh, you might've been a part of this too. Like when I was in youth or something, it was basically like some song and we would do like some sort of dance slash like act out actions to like the song as like an evangelistic type thing. And I can remember being like 13 and like dragged into this thing. Like, I really don't want to get up in front of my church and like mime to this song that like, you know, it's like uh, somebody being pulled in like two directions and there's like chains and stuff. You got to break the chains. And does anybody else remember this or am I going crazy? Yeah. Okay. Just to put this into perspective, when I was a teenager, we sent a team to Ukraine to perform in the streets of small villages in that way. And uh, I don't know if anybody was one for Christ or if anybody was pushed away from Christ because of that, but uh, we did it anyways. And so, I don't know, maybe it did something. But look, we're, we're not doing these things anymore. Sorry if you're doing these things in your life, and I'm totally making fun of it right now, but maybe you need to hear it. The, tru- the truth is, sometimes the truth it hurts. And uh, anyways, we've done away with some of the strange stuff 
in church. We've kept some of the other strange stuff, and that's good. Um, but we've done away with some of these things. Uh, though maybe we need more of that stuff if it keeps some of the self-righteous hipsters a little more grounded. Maybe we can bring it back a little bit. I don't know. But look, we've gotten better uh, at welcoming people and crafting a church experience that you'd actually want to bring a friend or a neighbor to. And I think that's, that's really good. Because after all, we were talking about discipleship. You can't disciple an empty chair, right? And so I think it's good that actually, you know, there's ways for people to come into church and, and to feel like they want to. And we've developed systems to integrate people into the life of the church, and that's great, and something we're consistently working with. And we've learned that people need an obvious pathway uh, to get involved on a team, to make some friends, to know some people. People need to be known and to know others in a church community, and it's important if anybody's ever going to stick around in a church. But I think the lesson that we're learning in this cultural moment is that based on the rates at which people are leaving the church and deconstructing their faith, if we don't have discipleship, a lot of the rest really doesn't matter. It's not enough to just modernize our methods and fill the room with people if those people aren't learning what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and from that are not motivated to go and make disciples of Jesus themselves. So what do we do? I think we need to turn to scripture. And we read at the beginning of this from Matthew 13. And I, very quickly, this outlines three different struggles that people face when they hear the good news of Jesus. Three roadblocks, so to speak, that we need to help people overcome that they might maintain their allegiance to Christ and would grow in likeness to him. And roadblock number one, I think quite simply, is the hard heart. Jesus says in Matthew 13, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the person that hears the message of Jesus, but they don't understand it. And the lack of understanding means that the message never goes beyond the surface and the evil one can come and snatch it away like a bird would, a, a seed sown on a hard path. Why no understanding? Um, I think there's probably many reasons, but maybe they just haven't been taught well. Let us not underestimate the hunger that people have, friends, families, colleagues, for a deeper understanding of Jesus. Although statistics point to churches in decline, they also, and the other thing that this study showed, is that people outside of church in Sweden are actually more interested in hearing about Jesus than the, almost ever before in history. And that's really unique. Churches are in decline, yet in society, people actually are more open than ever to hearing about Christ. But if we're going to teach people, whether they be people in our church or a neighbor, a colleague, a friend, a family member about Jesus, I think it's important that we actually know what we're talking about. We need to know why we believe what we believe. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to have all the answers. So pressure's off, okay? <laughs> Breathe. It's not that. After all, we can't know God fully. We never will be able to. But we can know him accurately. And confused people confuse people. And we don't want to be that or do that. And the, what's the solution? In, in our church, we're committed to theologically substantial preaching that's centered on the word of God. We want to continue to provide resources and opportunities for people to go deeper in their faith. We run classes like Discovery, which is something that we have uh, starting up again uh, next week um, to help people go deeper in their understanding of the things of faith. We are a community of learning here. We're learning what it means to be saved. 
and learning what it means to follow Jesus. Not so that we can become all puffed up with knowledge, that's not what this is about, but so that we can go and we can accurately present Jesus to people in our world that are actually craving an encounter with him and that we would feel confident to be able to do so. The second roadblock is the shallow heart. Jesus says the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Often this is a going through the motions type of Christianity. It's knowing what to say, when to say it, but when things get hard, jumping ship. Maybe not really alive in Christ, as I was talking about. Not born again to a living hope. It's like saying the right thing at the right time, sure, no problem. Satisfying people asking the question, yeah, you bet. But it's responding with joy in a moment of emotion, but never letting the gospel actually take root. And so we need to disciple people and become disciples of maturity in our faith so that when difficulties in life arise, and they will arise, we may be able to respond like the Apostle Paul when he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Pastor, late pastor Tim Keller says that the desperate, world of our, the desperate need of our world today is not just more intelligent people or gifted people or good-looking people or influential people, but it's deep people. And it's our prayer as a church that we would allow the gospel of Jesus to go deep into our lives, that we would focus on depth and trust in him to bring the breadth to our ministry and our church and what we're doing that we're gonna go deep in our relationship to Jesus and it can change everything. And the last roadblock is the strangled heart. He says the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. It's like, why would somebody love the world more than Jesus? For one, I think it's because a lot of people, us included, all of us, uh, spend more time with the world than with Jesus. And off, very often we become like that that we spend the most time with. Uh, I've said before about this study that was published by Barna that says, um, speaking of Christian millennials, I think the numbers are almost even higher when it comes to Gen Z, but Christian millennials consume roughly 3,000 hours of digital content every year. And less than 150 of those um, are Jesus-focused. And if we become like that that we spend the most time with, at this kind of ratio, uh, Christians are in trouble. And it can have a corrosive effect on our faith. And showing up once a week to hear some teaching about Jesus on a Sunday morning is actually not enough for any of us to develop into mature Christians. We actually need to take responsibility uh, for our own discipleship a little bit differently. And church is not less than a Sunday gathering, but it is also more than a Sunday gathering. And a lot of the development of our spiritual life actually happens in living rooms and cafes and at dinner tables with other people from church throughout the week, doing life together, rubbing shoulders with our church family, laughing together, crying together, praying together. And I think that we need to do this more and more and more and more and take responsibility for ourselves in this way. But not only this, I think that it's important that we also understand what it is that we are saved from as Christians. So we need to talk about sin in church. And that's not popular, I get it. Nobody want, I don't wanna talk about that, believe me. As a pastor, it's like the last thing I wanna talk about. But we need to. 
We need to help people understand Romans 3.23 that says all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. It's like, so what? Why does that matter? Because Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin, the result of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How? Because Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. On our best day, we are pretty terrible. But we're forgiven. And that's incredible. And that should humble us. And through the cross and the resurrection, we have been justified and given the righteousness of Christ. And we can live lives dominated by hope. And we can walk victoriously because of Jesus. But if we never know the problem, then submitting ourselves to the lordship of Jesus is going to be really tough for us. And that's where we get Jesus is our life coach type of Christianity, or Jesus is my cosmic vending machine that I'll pray to and expect to get whatever I want whenever I want, instead of submitting ourselves to Jesus as the Lord of our lives, who gives victory to us because of his death and resurrection on the cross, and it allows us to develop a robust faith that is actually able to overcome the temptations of the world. We need to know this. But Jesus finishes, he says, the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And this is what we want to help people towards as a church. Look, we want to pack out our church. I'm not shy about saying that. I want to see our church, and for that matter, every church, overflowing with people on a Sunday. And we want to help integrate people into church life. But also we want to help people hear and understand the word through evangelism and through discipleship to Jesus so that they may also produce a crop. We don't just want to gather a crowd. We want to build a church. And I think the way we do that is to beautify the basics, so to speak. I think that you know, we need to return to things like spiritual practices and disciplines in our lives. And I think that these create in us an answer to the shallowness of the world. Things like reading scripture, praying, serving, worshiping, evangelism, community. Um, I was reading that uh, about Christians who grew up similar to me, the way that I grew up. And it was looking at how did people who stayed a Christian, what was different between them and those who deconstructed their faith and fell away? And there were several things that this book was outlining, but one that stood out to me is that very often young people who stay Christians into their adult lives, um, that they had six or seven adults in their life who had gone before them, who followed Jesus faithfully, but were honest about their struggles in following Jesus faithfully. That they were able to say it wasn't great all the time, but they stayed on that narrow path. Look, we want to be a church that addresses people's hopes and dreams and needs with Jesus Christ. We have a vision to see people converted to Jesus from all walks of life, uh, from all realms of society, secular, modern, religious, rich, poor, traditional, conservative, liberal, from all walks of life. And this means that we will always be a church that finds people in our midst who are trying to understand Christianity still. And in short, our church will be marked by a few things as we continue to go forward. And these are not new things. I want to reiterate things that I've talked about before that I presented even last year on Vision Sunday that kind of 
drive our ministry philosophy and uh, help us move forward. And uh, I, you can put them on the screen. They're going to be small to see, but maybe you have perfect vision. I don't know, but I'll read them to you anyways. Our church is marked by theologically substantial preaching, by spirit-empowered corporate worship, by d- dynamic and effective evangelism, that we are a community of active participation. This is koinonia. We talk about it all the time here. Life together that goes beyond just our Sunday gatherings. That we have a strong emphasis on holiness and spiritual formation and renewal. That we are a diversity of generations and backgrounds who operate in love for one another. And that we as a church bear witness to Jesus in the wilderness of this world. And I believe that as we do this, we present a compelling and beautiful resistance to the pressures of a hostile world that is doing its best to unravel churches and people's faith. And we as a church and as individuals can operate as a prophetic signpost in the ground that is pointing people towards Jesus and not ourselves. And it is in this way that we will see the city of Linshipping transform and brought into relationship with Jesus. And I firmly believe this. And come on, we can clap even better than that this morning. And we need to see this take place. And I hope that we feel that we can. We can't do it in our own strength, but we can as we operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is in us who believe. And I really believe that God's up to something. And I don't, again, I just want to talk hype here, but I do want to talk hope. I hear these numbers of churches, whatever, and all it does is put a hope in me that says, Lord, you are good and you've got a plan, but use us. Here we are, Lord, send us. To quote Isaiah, here we are, send us. Lord, would you anoint our lips? Would you anoint our words, Father, that we would go out with a boldness to be able to preach your word and see a city transformed? So why don't we stand as we bring it to a close this morning? Um, We're in this together. The things I'm outlining this morning is kind of a vision for us as a church. This is not like a me and Victoria thing as pastors here. Um, This is not our church. I do want to say that. Uh, This is the Christ that we have the beautiful opportunity to serve and to shepherd. But the church is all of us, every single one of us. And we all have a responsibility and a calling and a gifting. And it's all unique. Every single one of us is unique. And I just pray that we would take that to heart and that we would step out with a boldness. That we would keep inviting people to church. That we would keep sharing our faith with others. That we would keep doing these things. Because I really believe that as we do these things and as we commit to it, that we can see different people's lives transformed. And I pray that we would.